Welcome to ABA Ultimate Showdown, a podcast promoting constructive, respectful, and professional discourse to advance the field of behavior analysis. We are super stoked to be able to bring you round one of the showdown. Our first topic will be the hotly debated practical functional assessment that includes the interview-informed synthesized contingency analysis, or ISCA, versus the traditional functional analysis, or FA. We are covering this topic across a precursor episode and one round. We just want to take a brief second to make it clear that while we are not experts on the specific topics that we discuss in this podcast, we consider ourselves lifelong learners and we're always looking to gain more knowledge. We have put over 100 women hours across five months into this particular podcast and spent many a late night and early morning trying to fairly and accurately portray both sides and perfect this final product. During this debate, we will construct arguments for both sides to present the audience with a comprehensive and balanced view of two sides of a controversial topic. Because this is our first episode, it is scripted. However, we will include the coin toss to determine speaking order and because it's fun. Each debater will have equal structured speaking time and will have an opportunity to ask and respond to questions. If you're interested in learning more about the debate format we use, you can check out our show notes or listen to our podcast's introductory episode. We want to emphasize our most important modification to traditional debate formats. There is no winner and there is no loser. Our intention is to present a different point of view of a controversial topic that you may not have previously considered. We are aiming to disseminate the science in a constructive way by sharing knowledge and respect. So due to restrictions of time and resources, both episodes will primarily reference two specific articles. For the pro side, Slayton, Hanley, and Raftery's 2017 article, Interview Informed Functional Analysis, A Comparison of Synthesized and Isolated Components. For the con side, Fisher, Greer, Romani, Zangrillo, and Owens' 2016 article, Comparisons of Synthesized and Individual Reinforcement Contingencies During Functional Analysis. In addition, we compiled four additional articles, four episodes of the Behavioral Observations podcast, resources from practicalfunctionalassessment.com, and everyone's favorite, Applied Behavior Analysis, second edition by Cooper, Heron, and Heward. Each source is cited in the show notes found at grahambehaviorservices.com slash showdown. Terms used in this debate are defined in our precursor episode. Tina Song will represent the practical functional assessment pro side of the debate. Candace Summers will represent the traditional functional analysis con side. The motion for this episode will be, the practical functional assessment serves as an effective procedure to analyze and treat problem behavior. Let's get this party started off right with a coin toss. Okay, Tina representing the pro side with the ISCA. You're going to be heads. And Candace, representing the con side with the traditional FA, you will be tails. Official coin flipper, go ahead. And it is heads. Tina, I'm going to yield the floor to you. Would you like to speak first or second? I'll speak first. Awesome. All right. Okay, Tina will speak first for the pro side and give the opening remarks for the ISCA. Again, the motion is the practical functional assessment serves as an effective procedure to analyze and treat problem behavior. Take it away, Tina. 
While historically it's been said that behavior is maintained by one function and that multiple control is rare, this is not the case. Researchers are finding more instances of behavior being maintained by multiple variables. For example, the review by Beavers and colleagues in 2013 found that 24% of the included studies reported multiply controlled problem behavior. This was an increase from a previous review that reported multiple control in 15% of FAs. For a specific example, Fisher and colleagues in 2016 compared results of the ISCA and traditional FA, and results of both FAs found that one participant's aggression and self-injurious behavior were multiply controlled by both denied access to his iPad and escape from non-preferred demands. So if a behavior is multiply controlled and you assess the behavior under isolated contingencies, you may not be able to determine the function. So hypothetically, if a problem behavior is maintained by escape from work and attention and a functional analysis assesses escape in one condition and attention in a different condition, you may not see problem behavior occur in either condition. In this situation, you may, you may only see problem behavior when they're presented with work and low attention. In other words, some behaviors may not be sensitive to isolated contingencies, only synthesized contingencies. And situations like this are what Dr. Greg Hanley has been reporting more frequently. For example, Slayton and colleagues in 2017 compared results of the ISCA and traditional FA. One of her participants, Diego, showed sensitivity to the synthesized contingency of escape and attention in the ISCA. But in the traditional FA, no problem behavior was evoked in the escape or attention condition. Therefore, the results of these functional analyses suggest that neither the escape condition on its own nor the attention condition on its own create a strong enough EO for problem behavior, but their combined effects do, or the interactions of their contingencies do. Hanley has used a coffee cake as a metaphor. While the separate components of coffee cake, like flour, baking soda, and sugar, do not on their own function as reinforcers for someone who loves coffee cake, the combination of them do. The coffee cake metaphor also illustrates how breaking down the ingredients in this way is unnatural. Similarly, the traditional FA breaks down environmental conditions in ways that are unnatural. Multiple contingencies operate in the natural environment. It's what behaviors are exposed to. The functions of behavior rarely exist purely in the natural world, and assessing them in this way prevents us from identifying all the maintaining variables. Hanley has stated that no one takes a break to nothing. People take a break to something. When someone stops doing their homework, they watch TV, they check their Instagram, or talk to their partner. They're escaping the aversive condition of completing their homework and accessing other reinforcers, such as attention, from their peers. The conditions in the ISCA emulate these real-life situations. Many of the differentiated results of traditional FAs that are published are after many iterations and modifications, as reported by Hogopian and colleagues in 2013. They reported that FAs conducted in an inpatient unit for severe problem behavior showed differentiated analyses the first time, 94 of 176 FAs. That's 53% of the time. Hanley suspects that this could be because the traditional FA is breaking down variables in unnatural ways that do not emulate real life and do not on their own affect behavior. No one is saying that all behavior is multiply controlled, but what I am saying is that multiple control is not a rare occurrence as previously thought. Again, using the ISCA does not mean that you assume that all behavior is multiply controlled. You only test multiple control when the results in the interview suggest it. Someone might argue that the ISCA is not precise and can result in including variables that do not actually impact behavior when developing treatment. Yes, this can be true, but that is okay. The purpose of conducting an FA is to inform an effective treatment. 
Even when there are irrelevant contingencies included in treatment, you can still have effective treatment results, which is the whole purpose of conducting an FA. Slayton in 2017 compared treatments based on the results of both the traditional FA and ISCA for four participants. The ISCA-based treatments were effective with all four participants, reducing their problem behavior to near zero rates. The traditional FA-based treatments were effective for only two of the participants, and problem behavior persisted for the other two participants. Lastly, having differentiated results in the analysis does not guarantee a successful treatment. For example, if you look at one of Slayton's participants, Emily, she had problem behavior determined to be maintained by escape to music and child-directed interaction in the ISCA. The traditional FA only detected sensitivity to escape and showed clear differentiated results. But when they implemented functional communication training based on the different results, Emily's problem behavior was only reduced to zero with the ISCA-based treatment. So in this case, even though the results of the traditional FA show clear differentiation and sensitivity to the escape contingency, treating problem behavior only for the escape contingency was not effective. This means that while denied access to music and child-directed interaction were not strong enough to evoke problem behavior in the analysis, they do control behavior to some extent in the natural environment, as evidenced by the results of the ISCA-based treatment. Even though the traditional FA achieved differentiated results, information from the results did not lead to an effective treatment. I think this example highlights how treatment effects should be the measure of accuracy or effectiveness of an FA, not solely the results of an FA. Thank you, Tina. Now we move on to Candice, who will give the opening remarks for the traditional FA, representing the con side of the debate. Again, the motion is... The practical functional assessment serves as an effective procedure to analyze and treat problem behavior. Individual instances of behavior only serve one function the majority of the time. This has been shown not only in the groundbreaking original FA article done by Iwata and colleagues 1982-1994, but also in 37 years of peer-reviewed research by experts in the field of behavior analysis. This research includes a 2003 published literature review by Dr. Greg Hanley, Dr. Brian Awada, and Dr. Brandon McCord identifying best practices and directions for future research. Beavers, Awada, and Lerman 2013 state that generality of this approach has been replicated, extended, or discussed in over 2,000 articles and chapters. Professionals throughout the world have conducted FA research across diverse populations and multiple institutions. On the other hand, published ISCA research has only been done and replicated by a small select group of researchers and spans less than five years. Fisher, Awada, and others repeatedly have shown while conducting FAs that individual reinforcement contingencies control behavior. The components described are a unique discriminative stimulus, an establishing operation, and a consequence. We also want to make it clear that the FA is intended to be designed for each individual participant. Behavior is sensitive to isolated contingencies. Beaver, Awada, and Lerman, 2013, state, Attention functions as as reinforcement or it doesn't. Escape functions as reinforcement or it doesn't. For example, if a child refuses to eat his or her dinner, you may not know if the function is attention from the parent or escape from dinner. This is why we would use a traditional FA. You need to know what exactly is controlling behavior in order to effectively treat it. If you reinforce multiple functions at once, 
you don't know which is affecting behavior. You also might see an increase in problem behavior if you are reinforcing both escape and attention. Treatment needs to be clear and precise as stated in the Attitudes of Science. The law of parsimony states that one should not incre increase beyond what is necessary, the number of entities required to explain anything. In Fisher and colleagues 2016, the research examined individuals exhibiting problem behavior using both a traditional FA and the ISCA across a multi-element design. Fisher was the first to compare the ISCA and the traditional FA. No interactive effects were apparent for any of the five participants. They compared the ISCA results to the standard FA but also looked for patterns indicative of interactive effects. For one participant named Allie, an ABAB reversal was used in which the ISCA was Im implemented initially, followed by the traditional FA, followed by the ISCA, then returned to the traditional FA. Allie is a five-year-old girl diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder exhibiting self-injurious behavior, or SIB. The ISCA synthesized or combined the three functions of tangible escape and attention and showed higher rates of problem behavior as compared with toy play in each phase. However, the traditional FA separated the components of tangible escape and attention and compared them with toy play. In both phases, the traditional FA showed markedly higher rates of problem behavior in the tangible condition than in the attention, escape, or toy play. If treatments were created following these different assessments, it can be assumed that the ISCA would be treating two functions that otherwise did not exist. This directly violates the law of parsimony. Cooper, Heron, and Heward, 2007, directly state that given the choice between two competing and compelling explanations for the same phenomenon, one should shave off extraneous variables and choose the simplest explanation, the one that requires the fewest assumptions. End quote. In addition, Alley's graph shows multiple treatment interference in the fourth phase, in which the traditional FA was used for the second time. Fisher and colleagues state directly that overall, Allie displayed problem behavior reinforced by the individual contingencies of the traditional FA without any evidence suggesting that the synthesized contingencies of the ISCA interacted to produce more robust effects than the individual contingencies of the traditional FA, end quote. The synthesized contingency in Allie's ISCA basically added two irrelevant functions. In addition, three of the other participants in Fisher's study showed similar results where the ISCA included functionally irrelevant contingencies. While these cases are just several instances of this effect occurring, it can be general, generalized that this would occur with other individuals in different settings. On a historical side note, function-based intervention did not exist until Awada developed the FA. Treatment based on the results of the FA will be effective for all participants because function-based interventions are used. Treating one function makes interventions more efficient because you don't treat functions that essentially don't exist. Following an ISCA that includes synthesized contingencies, new behaviors may be created. For example, the ISCA may treat both an intention and an escape condition when the function is just attention. Thank you, Candace. The next segment of our debate is the crossfire. Both sides will have the opportunity to ask and respond to each other's questions. We will begin with a question from Tina, representing the ISCA. 
Candace, representing the traditional FA, will answer and then follow up with her own question. So you say that cases of multiple control is low, but the results of two literature reviews show that that's not the case. How would you explain that contradiction? The number in those reviews may not be completely accurate. As Beavers 2013 described, more recent studies have been including a tangible condition. Studies have shown that using a tangible condition can produce false positives. This could contribute to the increase in reports of multiple control. There have also been more instances of FAs being conducted with multiple response topographies. If those different response topographies serve different functions, then you can see how a false positive result of multiple control can occur. You show differentiation between control and test conditions if you are simply combining all contingencies together and providing many preferred items or activities after problem behavior. Doing so is a powerful reinforcement contingency that you're exposing the problem behavior to. Don't you think that's problematic? We're not arbitrarily combining contingencies or reinforcers. We're using what the parents, teachers, and other caregivers are telling us typically, typically follows problem behavior. The interview asks very specific questions to the caregivers geared toward identifying the maintaining functions. So no, I don't think it's problematic or that it'll strengthen the problem behavior because we're using consequences that have already been following the problem behavior in the natural environment. The traditional FA also exposes the individual to the control condition and multiple test conditions. Therefore, wouldn't that affect the likelihood that the reinforcement effects from one test condition carry over and to, re- to reinforce problem behavior? Research states that Awada and colleagues included a unique discriminative stimulus in each, set, in each test condition to decrease the likelihood that the reinforcement effects from one test condition carried over and affected levels of the target response in the other test conditions. This would hold true from the experimental conditions to the natural environment. In the Behavioral Observations podcast, session 45, Dr. Wayne Fisher stated that he is in the process of publishing an article using an ABAB design to compare the traditional FA and the ISCA. His researchers taught individuals a contrived behavior with the intent to serve one function. This was accurately demonstrated in baseline using the traditional FA. Synthesized contingencies were added to the, into the second condition using the ISCA. Upon returning to baseline, in this case running another traditional FA, the results show that the behavior was now maintained by two functions. Hearing this, how do you know that you're not going to create a new behavior or a new function when testing multiple contingencies at one time? Are you worried about pairing the true reinforcer with other stimuli, which then may become reinforcing? Again, we reinforce the problem behavior similarly to how it's been reported to occur in the natural environment. We're only given consequences that parents and caregivers report routinely follow problem behavior already. In regards to the Fisher study, it was conducted with an analog to problem behavior, not real problem behavior that was learned in a natural environment. So any conclusions drawn would be tentative. It also hasn't been published, so I would like to read it before I'm able to respond with more detail. It's believed that the traditional FA is time-consuming compared to the ISCA. Don't you want to get to treatment as soon as possible? The traditional FA is not time-consuming compared to the ISCA. If you think about it, the practical functional assessment conducts multiple interviews that could take up to 45 minutes each before running the assessment. Coordinating schedules for those interviews is also time-consuming. 
Then, if the contingencies identified do not produce any data during the ISCA, another iteration of the interview has to be conducted and a practitioner must observe the participant before running the assessment again. For example, the open-ended interview only accurately implicated 36%, which is five functions, out of the five participants and inaccurately implicated 64% which is nine functions for the ISCA, from Fisher and colleagues. So if you think about it, most likely they are similar in time. And of course, the goal should be to get to treatment as soon as possible. However, it is critical that the treatment be based on the function identified in the FA conditions. Indirect assessments are notoriously unreliable and inaccurate. Do you see a problem with heavily basing your analysis on an interview? No, because we don't stop with just the interview. We use the interview to inform the analysis. And if we don't get differentiated results, which happens, we go back to the interview and our observations to find out what idiosyncratic details we're missing. We don't move on to treatment until we show control by the variables we're manipulating. That was fantastic, girls. Really thoughtful questions and responses. Our next segments will be the rebuttals. Tina, representing the ISCA, will speak first. Tina, you have the floor. Functional analyses should not be standardized. They should be individualized. The ISCA emphasizes the importance of including qualitatively rich details, meaning the idiosyncratic variables, in every element of the analysis, including the antecedent conditions set up to evoke problem behavior and the consequences suspected to maintain problem behavior. Studies have shown that these details are in fact important. There are reports that show using a familiar versus unfamiliar person providing the consequences can be a critical factor, and other studies that suggest that low attention may only serve as an EO if the attention is being given to another person. So for some participants, problem behavior isn't evoked or maintained by generic functions. For examples of idiosyncratic functions, you can look at Slayton in 2017, and they included contingencies such as escape from the demand to put on shoes and access to a ritual around the shoes for one of their participants. Antecedent conditions for another participant was a specific demand to brush her hair and to pack up her backpack. So you can see that these are very specific idiosyncratic details, and they were identified in the caregiver interviews as the real-life conditions that evoked problem behavior. And including these idiosyncratic variables have been shown to improve differentiation when results of the first analysis is undifferentiated. So for example, Jessel and colleagues completed 30 ISCAs, and they used individualized details in all of these analyses. And they achieved differentiated results in 22 of those 30 ISCAs the first time around. And then the remaining eight ISCAs needed modifications before they were differentiated. And in one of the podcasts, Hanley specified that most of those modifications were qualitative changes, such as the specific demand that was presented or the kind of attention that was provided. And even the duration of the session can be individualized, as Slayton and colleagues did. So one of their participants, Jeff, um, they extended their sessions from five to 10 minutes because in the interviews, they found that the caregivers said that he could easily work for five minutes, so they weren't likely to see problem behavior in five minutes. And then they had another participant, Chloe, and they shortened her sessions to three minutes because the interview suggested that her problem behavior was quickly evoked whenever the demand to put on her shoes was presented, which is a really short task that they could capture in three minutes. 
So these procedural decisions were made prior to the analysis and they were held constant throughout the analysis. And since the goal is to get to the treatment stage as fast as possible, including these idiosyncratic details into the analysis the first time around and as the standard can achieve this. Another way that the ISCA can more quickly and safely get differentiated results is to include both precursors and co-occurring behaviors to the problem behavior in the analysis. So this modification has been frequently done with the traditional FA in cases where the problem behavior is severe because it avoids evoking the more severe topography of the problem behavior while still determining the function. So including these behaviors from the beginning, from the onset, can lead to a quicker analysis, especially if the problem behavior occurs at a low frequency, in which case you may not see the problem behavior occur at all during your FA. So for example, in Slayton's comparison, two participants emitted only precursor behavior and no target problem behavior during the traditional FA, which led to undifferentiated results and wasted time. And when the analysis was repeated when they and while including the precursors, differentiation was observed. So for those two participants, the ISCA produced differentiated results during the first analysis, the first time around, because they included precursors in the first place. Not only can the ISCA still produce effective treatment effects with in, while including irrelevant contingencies, the treatments can be easier to implement. So for example, in Slayton 2017, they provided a treatment that reinforced problem behavior with escape only based on the results of the traditional FA, and it was difficult because they had to ensure that the child didn't receive access to tangibles in addition to escape. So that meant that they, they had to clear the room to make sure that the child couldn't access any preferred items in the room. And it was a lot easier to implement the ISCA-based treatment where they provided escape from the task to his tangible reinforcers. So they just allowed a break to a room that had all his preferred items in it. And this goes back to the point that providing escape from a task to an empty room is unnatural and it likely wouldn't be done in a school or clinic setting. Also, using a single test condition that includes a hypothesized contingency or contingencies leads to a quicker analysis, which means we could go to treatment more quickly. Hanley and colleagues have found differentiated results within 25 minutes, which includes the five five-minute conditions. In Slayton and colleagues' comparison, the ISCA was differentiated for all nine participants, and the traditional FA was differentiated for only four of the nine participants, the same participants. The goal of functional analysis and behavior analysis in general is to provide effective treatment. So if I do an FA with two conditions and repeatedly have high rates of problem behavior in the test condition and zero problem behavior in the control condition, that's good enough for me to know that I can manipulate all of the controlling variables and design a treatment without using arbitrary reinforcers and punishment, punishers. And that should be the standard that we base the quality of our methods, which procedure leads to a more effective treatment more quickly. And in this regard, the ISCA is superior. Thank you, Tina. That was enlightening. Now, Candice, representing the traditional FA, will give her rebuttal. Candice, you have the floor. Indirect assessments, such as interviews, are frequently used prior to implementing the traditional FA to assess problem behavior. However, indirect assessments take time and are often unreliable. Cooper, Heron, and Heward, 2007, state that certain types of questions tend to evoke mentalistic explanations that are often of little value in understanding the problem. Caregiver interviews fail to identify precursor behavior in nearly every reviewed article according to Beavers and Colleagues, 2013. Therefore, a caregiver report is inadequate for determining the function of behavior, as well as reliable precursors. 
Interestingly enough, the ISCA is based primarily on interviews. This leads me to my next point that direct assessments are both are better than indirect assessments such as the parent caregiver report. Cooper, Heron, and Heward 2007 state that while indirect assessments provide useful information, direct assessment methods are preferred because they provide objective data on the person's actual performance, not a subjective interpretation, ranking, or qualitative index of that performance." End quote. Fisher 2016 stated that indirect assessments are shown to have unacceptably high levels of false positives, but nevertheless has been successful when there is a need to modify the standard assessment. Fisher gives an example of false positives. Inaccurately identifying attention as a reinforcer for problem behavior when attention is only temporarily associated with the response. Another important point is that we have not been able to find published evidence on the total time it takes to conduct interviews with parents and caregivers, as well as direct observation, direct assessment, and elapsed time combined. Hanley and colleagues state that the experimental component includes five five-minute test conditions. Slayton and colleagues states that the two interviews were conducted were approximately 30 minutes each. However, these estimates were for procedures conducted by professionals familiar with conducting the open-ended interview and the ISCA, but may not be typical of the practical functional assessment process in practice. For argument's sake, let's say the ISCA takes under two hours if everyone's schedules align and the experimental portion goes smoothly. This may mean that professionals are able to implement treatment more quickly. However, if multiple functions were identified when only one truly exists, the treatment may be ineffective. You may be treating functions that don't exist, taking time away from treating only the actual function. Dr. Wayne Fisher stated that he has conducted research that is in the process of potential publication showing that treating non-existent functions may develop new functions. In addition, if there are inconclusive results, going back and reconducting re the interview directly observing in the natural environment and rerunning the ISCA becomes inefficient. Essentially, this will take mo more time in the long run. For two participants whose problem behavior was reduced with both the ISCA and traditional FA treatments, the traditional FA-based treatment was effective after showing just one function. The ISCA added a contingency, but still achieved effective treatment results. Again, this violates the law of parsimony, may waste valuable time treating an unnecessary function, and may lead to new behaviors being created. Slayton and colleagues 2017 states that the precursor FA is a modification of a brief FA. A brief FA is, a, is not a full traditional FA. A precursor FA is defined as reinforcement contingencies are applied to behaviors that tend to precede the high-risk behavior, end quote. This can be beneficial to treat the functions of behavior before they occur, and we encourage using this method if at least one of two contingencies are in place. 1. The precursor behavior reliably precedes the target problem behavior and only occurs prior to the target problem behavior. Two, 
the target problem behavior is severe enough to cause injury to the client. However, I want to make it clear that reinforcing precursor behaviors during a functional analysis is not quite unique to the ISCA and has been shown to be effective in earlier studies. In regards to idiosyncratic reinforcers, this is another feature that is not quite unique to the ISCA. Procedural variations have been included in functional analyses since the initial publications. Fisher directly states that Awada used unique SD in each test condition to decrease the likelihood that the reinforcement effects from one test condition carried over to the target response. They included the EO for the punitive reinforcer in each test condition to evoke the target response and to increase the likelihood that it contacted the reinforcing consequence. Finally, the Awada and colleagues method included a specific reinforcing consequence, typically delivered on a dense FR1 schedule. End quote. In fact, all SDs, EOs, and punitive reinforcing consequences should be unique to the client or else they are essentially irrelevant and not in line with research. Thanks, Candace. That was equally enlightening. The next segment of our debate is the second crossfire. I, as the moderator, will ask questions of both sides. We will attempt to keep an alternating pattern of responding. Debaters, please make sure that you answer the question to the best of your ability, and if you need, cl ask for clarification. And as always, keep it respectful. The first question is for Tina, representing the pro-ISCA side. How can you be sure that the precursor serves the same function as the problem behavior? And how can you rely on subjective caregivers to accurately identify a precursor that only reliably occurs prior to problem behavior? We do understand that we're making an inferential leap and that we're assuming that the precursors, the reported precursors, and that the reported behaviors that co-occur with the problem behavior serve the same function as a problem behavior. We are assuming that. Um, but studies such as the Slate 2017 article, they've used precursors and co-occurring behaviors, and they were still able to reduce the problem behavior to zero rates and get to an effective treatment. So caregivers spend more time with the clients and the professionals. They see the behavior most often, and that's where what we're deciding what to include in the analysis. And if the results suggest otherwise, at that point, we can, we can reassess. Thank you for elaborating. The next question is for Candace, representing the traditional FA. So when you conduct a traditional FA, you already use an interview and include individualized variables to select work materials in the escape condition and items to use in the tangible condition if one is used. So why not do so for all other aspects of the analysis? That is a good question, and the short answer is that we do. We understand that behavior does not occur in a vacuum. However, by breaking down and isolating separate contingencies, we can more accurately inform treatment. An appropriate and efficient treatment plan leads to more effective and quicker results. Let me reiterate that over 37 years of research supports this method. Great, thank you. The next question is for Tina, representing the ISCA. In some cases, you synthesize all three socially mediated functions, attention, escape, and tangible. Why even bother conducting the experimental portion? 
We only synthesize functions when the interview tells us to, when the caregivers say that these are the consequences that have been consistently following this problem behavior in the natural environment. We want to show differentiation and we also want to rule out a possible automatic function. Again, our goal is to get to treatment as soon as possible so these people are not continuing to exhibit dangerous and harmful behaviors. And we think that everyone's goal should be more focused on helping the person rather than conducting time-consuming scientific experiments. Once we have enough to know, once we know enough to um, develop an effective treatment, that's when we can stop. Thanks for that. My final question is for Candice, representing the traditional FA. Most professionals acknowledge the fact that in practice, many people do not conduct functional analyses. How do you explain this? Just because people aren't conducting FAs doesn't mean it, that it's right. Conducting a functional analysis identifies the function of the behavior and allows you to write an effective intervention plan. Without it, your plan is likely to be ineffective because you have applied the incorrect function-based treatment. Dr. Brian Awada states, that, and I'm paraphrasing, if, that if you find it too difficult to manipulate variables in an FA setting, how do you expect to implement an effective treatment intended to manipulate variables? The FA, in its various forms, like treatment-based FAs and brief FAs, is neither too difficult nor too cumbersome to conduct in practice. Perhaps, instead of butchering what over 2,000 published research studies have shown to be an effective way to identify the function of behavior, we should, be, we should look at beefing up training. Students in behavior analysis courses should not only be taught about the functional analysis, but also taught how to conduct an FA. A practical component should be implemented in which students actually practice running an FA. Then, when they have to identify the function of problem behavior with their clients, it's not overwhelming. This would be similar to medical training, specifically CPR. Anyone who has been CPR trained practices the motor movements on a mannequin. While the specific real-life scenarios will undoubtedly be different, practitioners can fall back on that motor practice. That was spot on, ladies. Really thorough answers. Our next segments will be the summary and final focus. Tina, representing the ISCA, will speak first. Tina, you have the floor. The ISCA is a superior functional analysis compared to the traditional in regards to practicality and effectiveness, and effectiveness meaning how well it can inform treatment. The design and the conceptualization of the traditional FA was a landmark moment in the history of behavior analysis that is not to be overlooked or understated. And no one is saying to discard the traditional FA, or, and no one is saying that it has no place. The traditional FA is great at isolating contingencies, and it allows us to be highly analytic in situations where this is desirable. But this high degree of precision may actually hinder us from determining the function if a behavior is multiply controlled or is sensitive only to interactions between contingencies. And even if the traditional FA does lead to differentiation, we've seen that it still may not necessarily lead to an effective treatment. 
The ISCA includes modifications to the traditional FA that are typically done after the first analysis is undifferentiated. So why not jump in with these modifications so we don't waste time and again we could get to treatment as fast as possible. There may be times that one may want to further break down a contingency and analyze its effects on problem behavior and for that the traditional FA would be superior. As Dr. Hanley has expressed, all we need is a motivating environment where we can begin to teach the skills of communication, toleration, and compliance. And it's less important to try to determine every last variable and the extent to which they each control problem behavior. It's more important to just effectively treat problem behavior. But sure, there's a lot more research to be done to determine when synthesizing and when isolating the components may be more beneficial and more replications of the ISCA um, do need to be done. But if the ISCA can provide information that can lead to an effective treatment, even if we don't know every last detail about the contingencies, it meets the ultimate goal of doing what we do, which is to provide effective treatment that leads to socially significant behavior change. Hey, I want to interrupt real fast to let you know that yes, ABA Ultimate Showdown's parent company, Grand Behavior Services, is an approved ACE provider, and a bunch of our rounds now count for continuing education credits. Great content and CEs, it's like the perfect combination. And it also supports us in developing and continuing the publication of this podcast. So thank you for your support. This episode, along with the precursor, the earlier episode, so both of these together are counting for one general continuing education hour. In order to earn them, hop over and listen to the precursor episode and then hop back over to our website, grahambehaviorservices.com slash showdown and enter the second code word, which is mountains. Mountains. We go skiing and tubing and snowboarding in the mountains. We also love going for hikes and snowshoeing. We love the mountains. M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N-S. Check out our other rounds to earn CE credits from your car, couch, run, or garden. We've got those elusive ethics and supervision credits. So let ABA Ultimate Showdown help you reach that magic 32 hours. And all of your support, again, will allow us to keep bringing you quality, thought-provoking content. So seriously, thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. Now, back to myself. Thanks, Tina. Now giving her summary and final focus, Candice, representing the traditional FA, will make her closing statements. Candice, you have the floor. Dr. Brian Awada said in a 2014 talk to Penn State postgrad students that out of all of the FAs he's conducted, under 5% are maintained by multiple control. Fisher and colleagues 2016 directly states that a traditional FA generally starts with the evaluation of individual but general contingencies, positive, negative, and automatic reinforcement, and proceeds to the assessment of more idiosyncratic or combined contingencies only when the individual's problem behavior proves to be insensitive to those general contingencies. We have shown how synthesizing contingencies as the norm is not only irresponsible, but can be dangerous to clients. Let's be clear that the traditional FA has also paved the way for the introduction of a practical functional assessment process that includes the ISCA. We as practitioners in the field should continue to do research on all of the functional analyses to gain a better understanding of all the ways they can be implemented. However, we need to be careful when implementing practices that could 
potentially be harmful to the client and to the ABA field in general. The traditional FA is a benchmark in the field of behavior analysis. Without it, we would not have function-based interventions that allow us to treat problem behavior in a parsimonious and effective way. The traditional FEs should be tailored to the specific participants as we stated. This will help us to get clear results to identify what evokes the problem behavior and what is maintaining the problem behavior without creating new behaviors. Thank you ladies for your really thoughtful and thorough defense of your sides. Lots to think about from this debate. Do multiple contingencies exist? Are some behaviors only sensitive when contingencies are synthesized and not isolated? The argument for whether contingencies should be assessed in isolation or synthesized rests on the question of whether or not behavior is multiply controlled in the majority of cases. More impartial research needs to be conducted. I think that it is clear that proponents of both sides, as well as those of us in the middle, want what is best for the individual, and we all want to see positive results as quickly as possible. In the words of Pat Fryman, quote, we in behavior analysis are a small group and we are all up to some really important stuff and we're all doing it in our own way. All of our work flows to one central focus, the same purpose that we all share. We are all striving to make the world a better place, especially for people less fortunate than ourselves. Realize that someone you disagree with in the field is up to something much greater, end quote. If you have ideas or topics for future debates, have respectful suggestions on ways we can improve this podcast, or if you are interested in being a guest debater, please email showdown at grambehavior.com. If you have enjoyed what you heard and found your aha moment, please subscribe to our podcast. Visit our website at grambehaviorservices.com slash showdown, like Gram Behavior Services on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our YouTube channel to be alerted when new episodes are out. We also appreciate your thoughtful review on the platform you listen to us. Finally, we ask our audience two things. First, be respectful and thoughtful when you respond to other people and their ideas. Remember that everyone has a unique learning history that has brought them to this moment. It will make you a better person and further promote behavior analysis. Second, go forth and deliver good ABA. This podcast has been brought to you by Grand Behavior Services. Grand Behavior Services provides quality, comprehensive, evidence-based therapy to individuals with any behavior challenges or an autism spectrum disorder to create effective behavior change in themselves while empowering their families to help them pursue productive, purposeful, and fulfilling lives. Grand Behavior Services, professional, supportive, optimistic, proactive, compassionate, scientific, and trustworthy.